All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started. This is Ira Rothkin. We're here to talk a little bit about the mega upload case. I'm Julie Samuels. I work at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I love you guys already. I'm a staff attorney there, and we work on all kinds of digital civil liberties issues, but, but with regard to the mega upload case, we are representing an individual who used mega uploads, stored his files on mega uploads cloud storage server, and um, when everything went down that we're going to talk about today, he lost access to his files. So we've got a client, we're involved in the litigation. Ira is incredibly involved in the litigation. I'll let him quickly tell you that, but just I want to be clear from the outset that we both represent parties in the case, so there are certain things we probably can't talk about for, for legal reasons, though I, I don't think that should really affect what we talk about today. So um, I'm going to let Ira introduce himself, and then I'll just go ahead and get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Ira Rothkin. I am Mega Uploads Litigation Counsel, also Kim.com's Litigation Counsel. And uh, Julie and, and Brian graciously invited me here today to to hang with Julie and to uh, to handle the session with her. And uh, along the way, if anyone's got any questions, feel free to chime in and to make sure that we know that you have a question, if you could just raise your hand so we know you're not just talking to the person next to you or something like that. Yep, I think that's right. I definitely, I would much rather have a conversation with everyone. I find these things to be a lot more entertaining if we do that. Um, so I think what we're going to do is I'm just going to talk a little bit about what's happened, really just the story. I'm sure many of you, how many of you are, have been following the mega upload case? All right. I, I know you have been. <laughs> so a lot of you have been. So we're, we're just going to kind of run through, like I said, the story to some extent, what's actually been happening. And I already, you'll, you'll chime in. We're relevant. And then I'd like to also talk a little bit about the impact this has on policy, both on innovation policy and policy, which relatedly impacts artists, fans, et cetera. And then if there's time and if you guys are interested, I'm also happy to talk about the larger government actions we've seen lately with regard to domain name seizures and, and what I've been calling the criminalization of copyright. So if we have time to get there, great. If you're interested, let me know. We have more than enough straight-up mega upload stuff to, to fill our time. Okay, so go back to January, the day or two after SOPA and PIPA were, were struck down or kind of went away, if you will, we get news that Mega Upload, which at any given time was one of the top five to ten most visited websites on the internet, correct? It, top 30 site. Top 30 site. Had been essentially taken down. We had heard for a long time rumblings about Mega Upload and, you know, copyright infringement and, uh, you know, what we usually hear before we see a site disappear. But we, I don't think those of us who work in the field really had any idea just how big this was going to be. And um, it keeps snowballing and getting bigger and bigger. So what we know now is that the U.S. government was working with a bunch of other governments all over, you know, overseas, primarily in New Zealand, but, but some other places too. And they went in, you know, in the dark of night with helicopters and airplanes. And you can see this all online. It was all filmed. And you know, seized pretty much everything in Kim.com's house that was potentially re house, mansion, whatever, that was potentially relevant to uh, the mega upload business. While they were doing that, they were also executing these seizures all over, well, all over the world. And, and in the United States, they went after the domain names, you know, megaupload.com, how you got to the site. And they executed search warrants on all of the servers. 
uh, which Mega Upload had been leasing from a variety of different companies, again, all over the world. The ones that I'm particularly concerned about and EFF's client is particularly concerned about and I think all U.S. users should be particularly concerned about are owned by a company called Carpathia. They have about 1,013 servers in Virginia that, as we understand, house most of the data that uh, U.S. users had stored on Mega Upload. And the government executed these search warrants, so the government went in, copied three of 1,013 servers, saying this was the evidence they needed to make their case, and then filed this letter with the court that's hearing the case. And the letter basically said, so we're done with what we need these servers for, and it's our position, it's the U.S. government's position, that Carpathia can just delete everything on them. And, you know, I'm not the government. I don't know what their, their theory there was, but this definitely caught the attention of a lot of people, shall we say. Because the, the data that's on there is, first of all, data belonging to a whole bunch of, of third-party users who are not implicated in the lawsuit at this point. And also the data on the server, uh, that data are relevant, uh, highly relevant, as I understand, to Mega Upload's defense in the criminal case. In fact, crucial to Mega Upload's defense in the criminal case. So the fact that, that this stuff might be deleted was really pretty horrible. Oh, and the government filed this letter, I think it was on a Wednesday or Thursday, and it was basically like, so by Monday, you, you can go ahead and delete. Whatever it was, it was like two days, something just pretty, pretty crazy. So that's when we all kind of got involved. And to Carpathia's credit, they've not deleted anything to this till today, you know, and, and there's no indication that they will. But in the meantime, no one's paying Carpathia. Mega Uploads funds have all been seized. So Carpathia is on the hook for keeping these servers. They've turned them off, but, you know, they still need to keep them cool and they still need to lease the space that they're in. I think it's along the order of $40,000 a month that Carpathia is losing. So what happened in the U.S. litigation at that point is that Carpathia filed a motion basically saying to the court, we don't know what to do. All of these people want what's on our servers. Court, just tell us what to do. We want to sell the servers. We want to repurpose the servers. We don't want to be in this position, but, but we don't want to be stuck dealing with all these pissed off people either. You can understand Carpathia's position. And, and once Carpathia filed, then we filed on behalf, we EFF, filed on behalf of our client, Kyle Goodwin. Kyle is a, a small businessman in Ohio. He owns a company called Ohio Sports Net that files uh, high school sports in Ohio. If any of you are from the Midwest like me, you know that high school sports are very important. Maybe that's why I like Kyle so much. And among other things, Kyle and his producers went all over the state of Ohio filming sporting events at all kinds of raw footage. And they stored it all on Mega Upload because it turns out that when your producers are all over the state and you can't email the video files because they're too big, cloud storage is a really convenient way to share access. So all makes sense. As luck would have it, of course, Kyle broke his external hard drive about two days before Mega Upload went down. He knocked it off the coffee table. He had backed everything up. So he goes on January 20th, the morning after Mega Upload was shut down, signs on to MegaUpload.com, and guess what? There's no Mega Upload. Kyle's got no access to his files. Okay, so that's kind of where we were at in the U.S. case. And then there have been a bunch of motions and, and everyone's trying to get the stuff back and we're trying to get it back on behalf of Kyle and Carpathia just wants to wipe its hands of the whole thing and it's a procedural 
mess, <laughs> I guess I would say. The one other really relevant point about what was happening at that point, I think, in the United States case is that Mega Upload and Carpathia had reached an agreement as two private parties as to how, what, when Mega Upload would pay for the server space. And I think it detailed at the end of litigation, correct? Yeah, I mean, along the way, within a few days of the raid and uh, Mega Upload coming down, we did contact the U.S. Attorney's Office, and um, we did let them know that we thought there would be a consumer protection problem and asked for their assistance in having Mega Upload put back online so folks could at least have some at least temporary access to get their files back. Um, we've always believed that this case that the United States has brought lacks merit. Um, the case at its core is trying to hold Mega Upload responsible for the acts of its users in copyright um, principles that's known as secondary copyright infringement. And there is no criminal statute for secondary copyright infringement in the United States. So we thought that the theory of the case lacked merit. We were also particularly concerned that the entire site was taken down without any notice to Mega Upload or its lawyers, without any hearing, without any trial, even when we take into considera consideration the presumption of innocence, Mega Upload never had its day in court. It was the site's down. Folks carted off to jail in jurisdictions across the world. And uh, consumers lose access to data. And there wasn't much that procedurally we could do about it. Um, so, I mean, that sort of creates the, um, the procedural landscape for a lot of what Julie's talking about right now. Then that was in the U.S. And as I'm sure most of you know, there's also been... Um kind of a train wreck going on in New Zealand surrounding this case too. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about this, and I probably know less than I does, and that's probably a good thing for purposes of <laughs> litigation, of what we're saying today. But if you've been following the news of what's been surrounding this case, you'd know that it's completely crazy in New Zealand. First in June, I think the first really relevant thing is the court, uh, the New Zealand court issued a ruling that the searches and seizures were mostly illegal. And if you've read the whole ruling, which I've read a couple times, it really seems clear that the New Zealand government was working pretty closely with the United States government along the way. So we don't know. The, the warrants, the U.S. warrants are still under seal. We don't have the details yet um, of what has went down in the United States. So for some reasons I'll talk about in a little bit, I, th I think sooner rather than later we're finally going to find some of that out, which is good. Um, but in the meantime, it turns out all these searches and seizures were illegal in New Zealand. Um, data was sent from New Zealand to the United States illegally. And then, more recently, we found out that, according to the Prime Minister of New Zealand, that uh, the New Zealand government was illegally spying on Kim.com, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Now, well, let, 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 me, let, me just, <laughs> let me just address I, I, So, over the course of these last couple of weeks, there was that admission by the Prime Minister. And when... This case started out, there was a lot of media attention here in the United States and across the world about Kim.com and Mega Upload and the tension between Hollywood and the technology industry. And we used to get a lot of phone calls 
and we used to get a lot of weighty, important phone calls, and then we get some phone calls to my office where I tried telling my staff, can you please screen out some of these phone calls? And some of the phone calls we used to get were like, they used to talk real low. It would be like, hey. Oh, it's kind of loud. <laughs> hey, uh, they're spying on me. And I go, really, how are they spying on you? Uh, they're everywhere, the United States. They're looking at me. Then I would scream out to my associate, Jared, can you please screen these calls? I mean, these spy calls, there's too many of them, all right? So they would screen out the spy calls. Now, all of a sudden, we learn a couple of weeks ago that the New Zealand government admitted they were spying. So now I'm wondering, oh, my God, what did I do? Maybe they really are have, like, these little sensors in the books and, you know, guys, Martians sort of walking around. And so now... I got one call in recently where someone was saying, well, they're spying on me. And I started trying to get the details first before I hung up on them. So it's interesting how these cases can kind of change. But I know I have learned now that when I get calls about spying, I should not immediately assume some sort of mental illness. But you can go ahead and continue on, Julie. <laughs> I think what's really interesting is we've seen from what's been going on in New Zealand is that procedurally, um, and whether it's the New Zealand government's fault, uh, maybe the U.S. government was involved in that or not, we just don't know yet. The case procedurally is kind of falling apart in New Zealand right now. Um, I think more, more and more will come to light in the United States in the near future, but I think to some extent the judge here has been trying to really slow down the case because I think he's hoping it's just never going to come back over here. Um, it's going to, you know, get stuck in New Zealand for a really long time, um, which, you know, given the last couple of months, doesn't seem completely out of the question. Um, I will point out that it, it's particularly noticeable because the Eastern District of Virginia, where this case is, is what we call a rocket docket. It's known for being really, really, really fast. And it was really, really, really fast until all of a sudden it was really, really slow. So the case is really kind of moving along at a snail's pace here, though we've heard a little bit from the court this week, um, which I'll talk about in a second. So We've also, in the U.S., we, we had a couple instances where we tried to mediate the problem, where we tried to, the, so the data, there are two things that Mega Upload and, and our client, Kyle Goodwin, want to do with the data. One is preserve it for Mega Upload's defense. That's Mega Upload's, um, so we've got a preservation issue, and we've got a process issue where we want stuff returned. We want there to be a process um, so that third parties can at least petition to get their stuff back. It, it's pretty clear that no one's just going to turn the switch back on and Mega Upload's going to be back up tomorrow. I just don't think that's realistic. Um, but we think there should be some procedure so that folks who really want their legal content back can get it. Frankly, if they want their illegal content back, they should be able to get it too, um, but that's not our position um, for a whole bunch of reasons. But you can probably guess what those are. So. Uh, let, me, let me chime in real quick yep. uh, quick on that. And you, you have a lot of different policy issues at stake when one looks at that type of analysis. Um, folks who use uh, cloud storage, whether it's Mosey Backup or Carbonite or iBackup, they're, they're pretty much allowed to back up their entire hard drive to the cloud. And without context, one can't tell whether or not Microsoft Word.exe in the cloud is infringing or is a backup, or whether or not someone who rips a CD 
and then backs up the MP3 files into the cloud, whether that's a fair use or whether or not that's an infringement. You can't just look at a file and say, well, because the file is like a famous copyrighted thing, that now you're going to assume that it's infringing. So it's a very complex analysis. And um, then you put on top of that an extra layer where cloud storage providers and the government shouldn't be looking at what folks have in the cloud. Um, and um, you know the Electronic Communications Privacy Act requires at least some form of probable cause before you even allow to look. So one would have to look very suspiciously upon a process that put the burden on users for having to prove with any kind of standard that they're allowed to have that stuff in the cloud. Um, those folks are innocent. They should be entitled to get their materials back, and they should be entitled to keep their privacy intact. But And just to pile on to that, too, and just to be clear that conceptually, so this makes sense to everyone, the government hasn't accused any of these customers of any wrongdoing. If they had, it might be a different procedural case. But there's been no allegation that these uh, mega upload customers did anything wrong. So I don't know, maybe some copyright holder, again, I'm totally hypothesizing right now, maybe some copyright holder would have a cause of action against a particular user, but that's not at issue. That's not, that case has not been teed up. So in the meantime, that leaves uh, these people really just on the hook for doing absolutely nothing wrong which is troubling, it's incredibly troubling. Um, it's incredibly troubling too with regard to Mega Upload because while, you know, I don't know what every customer on Mega Upload was doing. I'm sure some were using it for every reason under the sun, but we were seeing a lot of really um, inventive uses, a lot of artists connecting with their fans, a lot of people sharing music perfectly legally, and this is good for the music industry, and I'm sure a lot of folks in this room and at this conference really care about that at a fundamental level, and I do too, and I think it's it's important when, when we're able to successfully cut out the traditional middleman, if you will, that that's good news for a lot of people, but when we have big cases like this, and when we, you know, send in planes by the dark of night and have raids on people's private homes, we're really discouraging that kind of innovation, and that's fundamentally um, troubling to me. Um, I don't know if, you, if you've got anything well, on that. Just prior to the raid, uh, Mega Upload was working using cloud storage technology on something called Mega Box, and Mega Box was designed to cut out the um, large middleman and to allow artists to be able to monetize their music directly with the consumer. And it was in beta, and it was shown to a lot of folks in the recording industry. And uh, there were even meetings scheduled um, the, the day before and the day of the raid. And days before Megabox was rolled out, the raid on Mega Upload occurred. And so Megabox never saw the light of day. So that's sort of the, um, the specific music industry a part of this puzzle, which also is very disturbing. I've, uh, people have been asking me questions about Megabox, and it's kind of been popping back up again recently in the news. Do you, do you, is it coming back? I mean, is there a plan, do you know? I would say that uh, folks should uh, pay attention to Kim.com's Twitter feed <laughs> for the latest, and that's as much as I'm going to say at this point on Megabox. 
Fair enough. Um, but, you know, that, that policy question, this, what kind of innovation do we want to incentivize both, you know, in the United States and internationally is a really important fundamental question to, um, well, frankly, all of the work I do at EFF, not just on the mega upload case. So that's one of the main drivers for us getting involved from the outset. Um, the other thing that's really interesting about this, and I can't speak as directly about this, is that what's gone down in New Zealand has become, a, from what I can tell, a huge political issue there. It looks like the prime minister is in serious hot water over everything that's gone down. And that's really not where I think a lot of people saw this case going from the outset. My understanding, um, and I've been pretty involved, is that you know the US government thought they had a great poster child with Kim.com and Mega Upload. I, I think that, you know, that he's this larger than life character and he had a life-size blow up tank in his front yard and the story just kind of told itself. Um, and that's gone totally awry. And I, I think, um, I think it's a really interesting dynamic, actually. I, I think it's not just the procedural concerns, which are legion and incredibly troubling, but it's this uh, this shifting tension, or I'm not sure if tension is the right word, but it's this this kind of shifting idea that that the internet users and the people who use these services they get that what's going on is kind of, is wrong. You, you know, the, I think the government just assumed we'd all side with the government. And we'd all think Kim.com is a bad guy. But that's not what's happened. And I think that's what we saw during SOPA and PIPA. And I think that's what we're seeing during this case. And of course, public opinion is not the same as a judge. And how this case ends up might be somewhere different. But I think there are a lot of lessons to be taken um, from, from how it's played out. Um, and that's the kind of thing I hope we, I hope folks can, can weigh in on that too. Because I think that's a really interesting dynamic that I've been observing um, and, I, and I think it, it says a lot about where we are as a society, frankly. Well, in, in, in New Zealand, just to distill it down, the court found that for the raid, there was an illegal search warrant. The court found that just describing the offense as some generic offense of copyright was too broad for the police to know what to take. And the, the word copyright, without giving more context, can mean anything from taking someone's DVD collection to the, to the newspaper. So the police came in and took just about everything. They even took security film or videos. So they found there was an illegal search warrant. They found that preliminarily there was an illegal search and seizure. They found that, as Julie referenced before, that the United States violated the law when without authorization, ironically, they copied and took Mr. Dotcom's data outside of New Zealand. And from my understanding, they have never went ahead and returned it, even though they have found to have violated the law. And the latest is that the government has admitted that there was illegal spying. And so you have this, and also New Zealand's refusing to hand over evidence to support the extradition. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Um, there was uh, two different court orders in New Zealand that required the Crown, which is the New Zealand DOJ, who's acting at the behest of the United States, to hand over some transparency, to hand over some evidence that supports what we call the rock, which is the record of the case, for extradition, so that it wouldn't just be 
the government's word without any documents to support it, but rather they'd hand over some information so that we can test the integrity of the allegations. They've refused to do that. So two courts have weighed in and required them to do that. Um, most recently, the case was heard by the New Zealand Court of Appeal in Wellington. Um, a few weeks ago, I was over there to, for that hearing. And uh, the court will make a ruling there. But if you leave it up to New Zealand and the United States, extradition would be automatic. But what most people don't realize is that when you look at the treaty between the United States and New Zealand, the basis for the search warrant is for copyright. But copyright is not an extraditable offense in that treaty. It's not listed in the treaty. It's not a basis for an extraditable offense. And so we're looking forward to being able to get transparency so that we could learn the full basis of what their theory is. Right now, it looks like it's conspiracy to commit copyright infringement or criminal copyright infringement. But conspiring to commit a non-extraditable offense is not extraditable. So we do concur, Julie, with your point that things in New Zealand are somewhat concerning. And um, there's been a trail of illegality in our view. And uh, at some point, we're hoping the courts will weigh in and put an end to it and, uh, and find that uh, there is no extradition. And, and as a practical matter, too, just uh, some of you probably already know this, but as a practical matter, if there's no extradition, the government's going to have a really, the U.S. government is going to have a nearly impossible time making its case. Um, Mega Upload does have a corporate presence here, but it doesn't have any assets here. Is that correct? Mega Upload has no corporate presence in the United States. The, um, right. uh, let me just parse that. They have some servers here. And as part of our motion to dismiss, we were urging the court to dismiss the case because they don't have an office here. Right. When we did a, a plain reading of the statute, it required them to have an office before they could be served. Um, we're going to be filing some more papers tomorrow to clarify our position on that. Um, but right now it's just servers and, and it doesn't really take a very serious policy analysis to, to say, look, just because folks are storing data in the United States doesn't make them or shouldn't make them vulnerable to being prosecuted in the United States because at some point it doesn't respect foreign sovereignty. I mean, nearly every corporation that has a pulse will be storing data on Facebook servers in the United States and maybe even part of their marketing effort. So for prosecutors to look towards, well, you got some data in the United States, it's arguably related to some sort of theoretical crime, now we're going to prosecute you. It makes the United States being able to prosecute every corporation in the world. And you can understand why the United States wouldn't want that if you flip it. It means that you can be prosecuted by a court in any country where your data ends up, and you know who who knows where that could be. So there, there's a lot of issues of first impression in this case, and that's just one of many. So uh, just to kind of circle back to where we are. So this week we've gotten a couple rulings from the court in the United States. One was on EFF's motion on behalf of Kyle Goodwin. Um, the court asked for further briefing, and so we moved under this criminal rule for return of property. It's usually not 
well, it's never been used in this instance, but this instance has never happened, so nothing, you know, everything is brand new, which is, as a lawyer, actually pretty fun. Um, <laughs> Ira maybe doesn't agree. Um, <laughs> but so, so we hear from the court, the court wants more, again, I kind of feel like the court might be dragging its feet a little bit. It wants some more briefing on how we see this kind of hearing taking place. Um, again, it's never really happened before, so we're kind of, um, I don't want to say making it up as we go along, but we're making it up as we go along. Um, and, and so we hope the court, the victory, the short-term victory for Mr. Goodwin would be that the court has a full hearing on the evidence, what the government did, what you know Kyle should have access to, uh, what other people hopefully will get access to, and and hopefully that's where we'll end up on our piece. Um, there is a little bit of precedent there. I don't know if you guys followed at all these... Um, online gambling cases that have mostly been happening in New York, in court, federal courts in New York. Um, in those cases, the government shut, the U.S. government shut down these online gambling sites, but reached an agreement without, that the court approved. The government and the online gambling sites reached an agreement that would allow U.S. consumers to get their money back if they had, you know, money stored on these U.S. gambling sites. So we'd like to see a somewhat analogous procedure um, for users who want their stuff back. Let me let me um, step in just for a second. Um, and the, that's an excellent point. The the problem in this case, unlike the online gambling cases, at least from my understanding, um, is that the online casinos companies were still intact. They were still able to process transactions uh, outside the United States. What happened here in this case is you have a cloud storage site that had copyright agnostic algorithms that was subordinated to users using it in their own psychosocial manner and evolving it that way. And you're going to have good folks and bad folks using cloud storage. And what you have is the United States coming in using a secret process that's more designed for the mafia, and not designed for, you know, modern internet services, and using that as a basis to take down the entire cloud storage site, even though the cloud storage site had substantial non-infringing uses and users. Which is the legal standard. Right. And even though um, there are millions of consumers who've lost access to things like Microsoft Word and Excel documents, which can never be considered to be infringing, and the entire site came down. And it's very hard to unring the bell. Even if Mega Upload, and we strongly believe Mega Upload is going to win this case, when they win this case, we'll be looking to the government and say, why'd you do this? Why didn't you wait for there to be an adversarial hearing? Why'd you do this to all these consumers? And we don't have, you know, the they caused the uh, mega Oppo to breach their agreements with service providers, with bandwidth providers, with hosting companies. So the servers came offline and all the money was frozen. So mega upload could do nothing about it. They couldn't even buy their way out of this problem. So the court's going to be hearing this. The court's going to have to decide in this case and for precedent in the future. Was this narrowly tailored to what you really needed to do, government?
could you come in and get something that's a, a more proportional order? Could you have come up with something where folks would have a, a shorter period of time to be able to get their stuff back? Or is this okay? That's really what's being teed up right here. We're hoping that the court will come in and say, you know what? You can't use 1970s mafia-type statutes to turn off a cloud storage site in a copyright case of first impression. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something we've been incredibly concerned with too. And, and you know, the, the, it's messy. The logistics are complicated. They're going to continue to be complicated. And, and, and there's that. But we don't want to give the government kind of this free pass that every time it takes down a website, which it's been doing more and more frequently, um, that it can just disregard all the third-party users and all of those folks' rights. So in the future, and, and I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I don't think anyone is, but I do think that most people you talk to fundamentally understand that people have a right to their data. They've got privacy rights when they use services, and they've got property rights to their data. This is actually in the Constitution. So the government is going to have to jump through some additional hoops next time instead of just tearing everything down like Iris said. And that's, that's something else we're, we're really paying close attention to. The, 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 the larger implications. So, so actually, with I mean, I think I'd talk a little bit, unless you guys have any specific questions. Yeah. Brewster? So it used to be that we it was mostly notice and takedown, right? That was a, sort of how things were dealt with on a file-by-file -file basis on these... Uh, it's file-by-file basis on these uh, servers. And that sort of evolved and you know, kind of works and kind of doesn't work, but that was kind of the way it worked. Now we're seeing whole sites just get nuked. Yeah. And that was the sort of fundamental part of SOPA PIPA, as I understood. It was just the sort of, ah, I don't want some of you guys around, boom. Is this the, the new future? I think it's a really good question. I hope not. <laughs> has, it, has it seemed like it lately? A little bit, yeah. I mean, what we've seen is that the government's using these procedures to make a runaround the process as it's been set up. Mega Upload is, is really one of the, the most glaring examples of that, but um, as some other people in here can talk about, there's been DeJazz One and Roja Directa, and these sites that the government also took down under claims of copyright infringement with even less recourse, if you can imagine, than Mega Upload had. Well, let, let's, let's, that's a great question. Let's look at it, let's go deeper. Let's look at it from multiple policy perspectives. If we look at it from the perspective of an economic perspective, it's not economically efficient. Um, because if it's a dual-use technology, you're going to have a whole bunch of folks, small businesses and consumers, whose businesses will be hurt. They're going to lose money. Mr. Goodwin has lost money. The um, sports videos that he made for families in the Midwest, he can't deliver the product to them, even though he got paid for them and they're going to lose out on the quality of life. So from a policy perspective, regardless of which side of the debate you're on, whether, you know, Hollywood versus tech, it's not economically optimal just to have an unnoticed shutdown where you don't have an adversarial process so the court could weigh how to narrowly tailor its ruling. If you look at it from a free speech or fair use perspective, it's suboptimal because you have lots of protected speech that's now offline. If you look at it from a more 
brought a perspective on encouraging innovation and expanding internet services, it will have a chilling effect. There was a study done last year by Booz. Uh, Google sponsored it. Uh, I participated in the study in interest of fair disclosure, where Booz went out and researched the top VCs and angel investors and found that without predictable online services and rules governing them, VCs will not invest in such services, and then that would dry up innovation over time. So from almost any kind of policy perspective, just taking down sites at random creates such uncertainty in our environment that it can never be considered a good idea. If someone's got a really great case and they're proud of their case, then bring a hearing before a court where the other side can come and argue against it. And that's, that's what didn't happen here. And, and you know, to go back to those other sites I brought up briefly, to Jazz One and Roja Directa, in those cases, the sites were down in one instance a year and one instance about 18 months, and there was no procedure. And I mean, the minimal, minimal procedure. Even asking the government for to make its case, those sites were met with just, they were stonewalled. They didn't even, and eventually, in both instances, the government just dropped it and said, you know, after 12, 18 months, okay, we're done. We were wrong. Sorry, you can have your site back. Which is really, I mean, to me, the most telling part of the whole thing. And, and they rely upon yeah. sort of government immunity that allows them to be bad so long as they're not too bad. And it's not just relying on government immunity, but in those cases, and we, we don't know this yet about Mega Upload, at least I don't know this yet about the Mega Upload case. Um, in those other instances, turns out the U.S. government is relying on um, the, the traditional content industry, if you will, to make allegations that there's infringing content. And then it turns out when the government finally finds a couple parties who want to fight back. And most people don't want to litigate against the government, even if they have a good case. I mean, you can understand why that doesn't sound desirable to a lot of people. Um, when, when people finally make their case back, the government just drops it and says, it turns out we didn't have the proof after all. Sorry. You know, that's incredibly troubling. Micah, did you have a question? You might have covered it by mentioning the immunity, but I was kind of interested. Uh, so our best case scenario for Mega Upload, obviously already irreparable harm to their business. Uh, are there any remedies available? The answer is yes. If you look at it, I mean, Mega Upload is an international company. It's based in Hong Kong. And um, seizures occurred across the world at the request of the United States. And depending upon how things evolve, actions could be filed in places across the world to ask a court for a remedy. Um, while we strongly believe the case against Mega Upload lacks merit, we don't believe that Mega Upload will ever be found responsible for criminal secondary copyright infringement. Um, the time, the theory, and the location of any relief is going to have to wait till another another day. Does anyone have any other questions? Or we can. Okay. I guess I'd like to just circle back for another second to dive in a little bit more to some of these other domain name seizures that we've seen because I, I think it really is all relevant and it really tells a story and and it's kind of where Brewster was going with this end run around the copyright laws as they currently exist, which for a whole host of reasons we find really troubling. It's this lack of due process and this lack of procedure. And um, some folks in Congress have, have 
helpfully raised that issue, actually, and recently sent a letter to Attorney General complaining about this um, because it, we're lucky that Mega Upload is in a position to fight back. And it's not easy. And as I will tell you, it's not easy. And I don't even know if you're able to get paid yet. But um. We have um, over 20 lawyers working on this case around the world. Um, and uh, none of us have been paid with some rare exception of a few hundred thousand dollars um, that came out of Hong Kong, but millions of dollars worth of fees have been accumulated, and all the folks in the team believe so much in this case that everyone's willing to do that. We did get an order recently in New Zealand um, where there's a strong likelihood that at least New Zealand Council will get some money soon. So when other folks find their websites taken down, they, like I just said, they oftentimes don't want to fight back. And, and maybe some of those websites, I don't know, I can't speak for all of them, but we've seen at least two instances where the websites were either in a position or wanted to fight back. And again, in both those cases, um, it turns out the government never had a case. And, and there was this lack of due process where there was no hearing, the sites didn't know before, they couldn't make their case, and then later it turns out that they're just down. And just to not put too fine of a point on it, but but to be clear, um, EFF, along with some other folks, including Wired, moved to unseal some of the court documents in one of these cases, which the government ended up just unsealing them on its own. And it turns out the government had gotten a series of secret extensions, essentially. And uh, when they every time the government went to the court, it just said, well, the recording industry told us there was infringing content, but we're waiting for an answer from them. We're waiting for an answer from them. We're waiting for an answer from them. And then I guess when there was no answer, that's when the government turns the site back over. But in the meantime, you've lost 12 to 18 months of business. People stop coming to your site. They start going to your competitors. And, and where does that leave you? Um, it's troubling. And it is kind of what Soap and Pippa tried to do. And, and would have been a little technically different, but yes, essentially the same thing. And, and now we're kind of living in that world anyway. The good news is, it's all, not all dire, the good news is that people are paying more and more attention. Um, people in D.C. are paying attention. More and more people here are paying attention. Um, and hopefully we're going to be able to hold some folks to account, or at least require that the government implement um, the kind of process that, frankly, the Constitution requires in these cases. So that's something we, we're also working on. Um, there are a lot of good folks working on that with us, um, and I hope we'll see some movement there. Uh, and it's slightly different than the mega upload situation because those those particular seizures were done um, by the Department of Homeland Security, which is I bet where you all thought your Department of Homeland Security dollars were going. Obviously, I didn't. But but they do have certain things in common. Um, in some instances, they were referrals from the RIAA, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And the RIAA and MPAA do play a very strong role in being involved with the government on these types of, uh, of cases, and maybe the role's too strong so that, you know, government independence is put at risk. Um, I think that the takeaway from Mega Upload, regardless of what side, you know, politically or economically one's on in this kind of debate, would be that it's in everyone's best interest for the procedures to be more fair so that uh, innocent users um, are not vulnerable to losing all their materials in the cloud. And I think at the end of the day, 
um, uh, Julie and EFF uh, are going to be teeing up that kind of issue with the federal court. Mega Upload will hopefully be allowed to weigh in. And as an aside, Mega Upload has to do a dance in Virginia because it does not believe that the court has jurisdiction over it. So each time we go ahead and we file something, we have to ask the court for special permission. And so uh, until the court says, okay, you may talk at the hearing, we'll specially allow you to appear without waiving jurisdiction, we're not allowed to say anything. And that's why, um, beyond other reasons, Julie and EFF are crucial to this case because they're allowed to come in and talk all they want. And we're very grateful for that. Well, I mean, I hope it works out. And, you know, the other thing that, from a policy perspective, we've been thinking a lot about, and I think as a society we really need to think a lot about, is how we want to spend our law enforcement dollars. Um, and, and should this be a priority? And, you know, I kind of leave that as an open question. I'm sure you can all guess where I come down on that. Um, but I, there's probably room to disagree. I think you're wrong if you disagree, but that's a different thing. Um, you know, what... It's just, well, there has we've seen time and again some industry capture of the process, and I think that's unfortunate. And and what we've also seen, and you know we've seen we saw this before SOPA and PIPA, and every time there's a new copyright law up to bat in D.C., it's that the technology is just going to move faster, and the technology is going to find a way. So I think we're throwing a lot of, you know, a, res a lot of resources at a problem that. If you define that as the problem, it's going to keep existing. So I think uh, you reach a point where you can kind of put this moral question aside and say, let's just find a solution that works. And, and I think to some extent that a lot of sites like Mega Upload, in Mega Upload's case were, but a lot of other sites are trying to do that. Find new ways for people to connect. I mean, BitTorrent is doing this. Find new ways for people to connect um, legally, legitimately, artists with fans, um, and it's not the traditional business model, but that's okay, that's good. And, and there's a way we can do that without harming the entire internet ecosystem in the meantime. And that's really fundamentally important to not just um, people in the arts, but to everyone in the world. And I actually feel really strongly about this. Um, and I'll probably save that soapbox for another day, but that's kind of what, what drives a lot of the work I at least personally do in this space. Does anyone else have any questions? Let me... Um let me weigh in on, on something that um, is sort of near and dear to me in this case, um, because I deal with it every single day, and that is that these cases like Mega Upload have important public policy issues, they have important legal issues, but I've got four guys and their families who are in New Zealand, um, and I met with Kim.com and and Matthias Ortman in jail. Um, I went over to New Zealand after the raid and spoke with his family. And this is more than just a sort of a policy debate or more than just a case for them. Their liberty is at stake. And this is the first time in the history of modern jurisprudence where this type of theory has been concocted. And the procedures are so harsh. Um, they're not allowed to really leave their country over there in New Zealand. Um, their assets are frozen. Kim's got 
five kids. His wife just had twins. There's a presumption of innocence, but we're hoping that through this case, there could be an evolution in the law so that these types of procedures that the government uses, there could be a better check and balance on them, especially when you look at the whole picture, copyright not being an extraditable offense, and them doing a raid on copyright, taking down an entire site, freezing all the assets even though you're presumed innocent. I mean... I'm a lawyer. I've been practicing for about 20 years. I still don't get the logic. If you're presumed innocent, then how can you take someone all their assets? And so this is very real. It's very real for me. It's very real for Kim. It's very real for his family. And I hope, you know, folks can think about that um, because, you know, if the United States could do this to Kim and his family, there's very little check and balance on what they could do to other folks. I mean, if Hollywood can come up with some sort of theory that your site's streaming too much or you've exceeded the scope of your license, and since you're doing it directly, it must be intentional and willful, and therefore now you're a criminal. That puts too much power in the hands of folks where you, where you have kind of a weighty disagreement. You know, again, we believe that Mega Upload is completely and totally innocent. But if Mega Upload could be prosecuted in this manner, and if its executives could be put through this treatment, and if us lawyers haven't been working 24-7 to show off the government illegality, there's a whole host of folks out there who will be vulnerable. And so it's not just about mega it's about the folks that are involved like him and if we're not careful it could be other folks and hopefully it'll be nobody in this room but that's kind of the takeaway i'd like to leave folks and, and you know again I, I kind of hinted at this early on but i think it's important that that in the, at least in the court of public opinion it seems like kim.com is to, Winning, and and I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Um, that people people fundamentally get what Ira is talking about. That there's been a lot of unfairness, and the kind of activity that Kim.com was involved in just doesn't seem. I think people feel a real disconnect between what they've seen happen to Kim.com and what they perceive Kim.com to have done. Um, and I think that actually says a lot about where we are as a society on this. And and that's a a shift I've been actually pleased to see. I mean, that doesn't get him off the hook, but but it's a shift I've been pleased to see as someone who kind of follows these issues. Um, and I think it's something we have seen through a lot of debates, but it's really striking to me in this case uh, and something I've been following closely. I mean, I'd like nothing more than one day to bring Kim with me to the next time we have one of these uh, um, summits here in San Francisco so he can tell you himself what he went through. He's funnier than both of us. He's funnier than both of us. Um, and uh, through all this, it's been very serious, but through all this, he has maintained his sense of humor. He has been an eternal optimist, and um, he hopefully will continue to innovate. And, uh, and then hopefully at some point, sooner rather than later, this whole case will be over and he'll be fully exonerated. Does anyone else have any questions? I think we've got about five minutes left. All right. Well, so, I don't have thank any. you very much for all coming, <laughs> and we appreciate it. Thank you.